Welcome to No Ad, No Problem, a podcast devoted to college tennis and growing the game. Select episodes will be featured on the Great Shot podcast feed, but make sure you also subscribe to No Ad, No Problem on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Check us out on Twitter at JTweetsTennis and Instagram at No Ad, No Problem. I'm your host, John. Let's serve it up. Hey everyone, two things are now official. The NCAA Individual Championships is moving to the fall and college tennis is back. Joining me once again to break down the sport that truly never sleeps is Ethan Moskowski. Ethan, welcome back. How are the final few days of vacation treating you? Uh, good to be here, first of all. And this is sort of a, sort of a work weekend. You know, I, I go back to class on Tuesday and Law school waits for nobody. We don't have syllabus week like you do in undergrad. You show up, you're expected to have done hundreds of pages of reading already come day one. So it's not a real weekend. It's not really vacation anymore, but uh, soaking up the last few, uh, let's say, full nights of sleep. Let's let's keep it at that. Yeah. There you go. Well, uh, it's exposure therapy for the real world. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> so speaking of the real world... This week is the annual NCAA convention, and amidst a ton of changes at the NCAA, what really feels like a sea change happening there, you know, one really important change for us college tennis fans was made official. The Division I Competition Oversight Committee approved a two-year pilot program to hold the Division I Men's and Women's Individual Tennis Championships in the fall of 2024 and fall of 2025. So what does this mean? Let's first just break down like where we are currently. So currently in college tennis, you have a fall season where people play individual tournaments. So no dual team matches. And that can look like ITA tournaments. You can have, you know, matches against other teams and just pair up, you know, one by one. It's all individual results in the fall. Then you transition to the spring, you have your dual team season, which is ultimately culminates in the NCAA team event, which is then immediately followed with the individual tournament, both singles and doubles at the same site. And so for some time, I would say many years, but really over the last year to two, uh, it's been a real consideration of do we bifurcate the NCAA team event with the NCAA singles and doubles tournament? And that proposition has come to fruition. And now in 2024 and 2025, we will have two years to test out what this looks like. And so just to run this down, you know, half over half, right? So spring of 2024, we will have both the team and individual tournament at Oklahoma State as normal. That fall, 2024, we will have an NCAA individual tournament followed by the spring 2025. We'll have an NCAA team event in, in Waco hosted by Baylor. And then that same fall, we will have an NCAA individual event. So 2024, we're actually going to have two NCAA individual tournaments. 2025, we will just have one and it will be in the fall. After that, who knows? That's why this is a pilot program. So really, as a student athlete here, the fall 
for these two years is all leading up to the NCAA individual tournament. Then you shift gears to the spring. It's all about the NCAA team event. Ethan, I know we've talked about this potentially happening for quite a bit of time. You can go back and listen to some of our previous episodes. What was your initial reaction when this news broke on Wednesday? Uh, I mean, I wasn't surprised. Like you said, we've been sort of hearing about this as a concept for quite a while. I think I think it was that the majority of coaches in the end were actually in favor of this. I think it was over 60% of the coaches, right, were in favor yeah. of moving. The yeah. NCAA release said that 68% of surveyed coaches or those that responded to the yeah. survey were in favor. So, you know, coaches were in favor of it. The players have sort of spoken about this, I think, for a while in mixed sort of mixed context of being like, hey, it's sort of weird that we have all these national events in the fall, but our national titles in the spring after we mm-hmm. play a whole team season, but our individual season. So in a way, it sort of does uh, organize the season in a, in, in a way that's a bit more clear, I think, for, for the players and, and potentially for fans too who want to get engaged. This idea of individual season is in the fall, team season is in the spring, makes it a little bit easier to follow. Uh, that said, there are, there are questions that need answering, um, regarding all sorts of stuff about, about how, how this is going to work, including where is it going to be? Yeah. (laughs) That's that's, are we going to see something like what we've seen with fall nationals and all Americans where there's like a staple site where every year we're going to go back, or is it going to be rotating? Like we've seen with the team. Are they just going to move this one down to Orlando, which makes a decent bit of sense as well, given that there's been a push to move the team event down to Orlando as much as possible? There, you know, there's a lot of logistical questions that I think we have to wait and see what the NCAA says before we pass too much judgment. Um, but like you said, it's a pilot program. We're going to do this for two years. We're going to see how it how it goes. Um, I have a feeling it's going to have mixed responses and mixed results, and and they've sort of just kicked the can down the road on the permanent decision here and said, Oh, we're going to see how this goes for two years. But for now, yeah, no no real huge surprises. We, we sort of felt like this was coming for a while now. Yeah. I actually was surprised at the timing of it all because the last that we had heard uh, from the competition oversight committee was in November when uh, they reviewed this topic and they actually cited a lack of information, like you said, about the specifics for how the format would be established, um, how this might inequitably affect institutions, particularly those on the quarter system, right, who don't start their fall or not on campus until late September. Uh, and just kind of the overall integrity of the bracket. And so during that meeting in November, the competition oversight committee was like, hey, now is not the time to act on this proposal. Let's kind of, you know, re-talk about this in our next meeting. Yeah. Next meeting was in December. They did not talk about this. And all of a sudden, boom, two-year pilot program. But overall, look, the ethos and the name of this podcast is No Ad, No Problem. <laughs> For the very reason that I myself went on a journey with no ad scoring, right? <laughs> Initially, I was super against it. I thought it would devalue the call center's product. No, I just think it doesn't matter. I think it fits oh, sure. for the college tennis product, and I think it adds the excitement. And I just don't think tennis overall, let alone college tennis, needs to be so 
fervent in these um in their beliefs about um how tennis needs to be played or needs to be structured right so that's the whole reasoning behind even the name of this podcast so i would say i'm happy that we are trying something new yeah. right and i okay, think man. that we have to be open to those sorts of things it was interesting though in reading through the ncaa release which is very short so you're welcome to go read it. I reposted it on my my Twitter feed. Uh, it doesn't give a whole lot of rationale for doing this other than athlete well-being. And what they lean into there was, one, you know, some student athletes will have to play for nine days in a row. That would be your Peyton Stearns of the world, uh, which I thought was an interesting note because in 2023, this year at Orlando, there will actually There's an extra be- day off. A day yeah, off. There's an extra day off. So I was yeah. like, we're kind of solving for that. But, and they gave a few other examples, which are truisms about this event. And that is that some student athletes wait up to three weeks between the kind of their final duels match and the NCAA yep. individual tournament, right? If your team isn't in the tournament, you're waiting a long time. Many of these athletes withdraw after the selection and, you know, during the team championship, maybe they get hurt during the team. And then some student athletes, as we've seen, withdraw right away after a selection, yeah. right? Um, and they don't really plan on playing this event for reasons we can get into a little bit later. But so that was the number one reason, the student well-being of it all. A- additional reasons that they hoped, which I actually thought are more compelling and were more pronounced in the ITA's original recommendation of this, which were one They hope to kind of boost the attendance at this individual event. You know, if you've been at the individual event, it's at the tail end of the team event. The day between the finals and the first round of the individual event, the energy completely sucked out of the entire area. Exactly. There's there's nothing there. They also mentioned that they hoped broadcasting opportunities may occur, which I also thought was interesting. And the ITA has talked a lot about how this again to your point, really clearly defines the seasons, makes it easier for both fans, but also administrators to understand what the season looks like. So that was kind of my initial reaction. For me, it's kind of like neutral until we get some of the upside that this is potentially promising, which can be that clear delineation also means maybe we can start experimenting with the team format, right? And start to be a little bit more innovative there because at the end of the day, now you don't really need to play out the matches, right? If you and I are playing, it doesn't really matter if we finish our match. Um, so that was my general reaction. I would have liked to see a little bit more pizzazz in the release. <laughs> For example, no, the, NCAA, the NCAA doesn't do pizzazz. They don't, but other organizations could, which is, for sure. example, like, can we lock in that TV deal? Why not? Like, why not announce that like this comes with that? Right. Because that's what people really care about. Right. They really want this to expose, get more exposure for college tennis. So those are my general thoughts. Any, any feedback to my initial reaction? No, I mean, I think it's exactly right. I was surprised to see how, um, emotional or outspoken some of the responses were on social media. Oh, Um, I was surprised to see former players respond in the way that they did. Well, Um, to name names, Steve Johnson came out. Johnson in particular, very strong statement. 
and I mean, Steve Johnson is a very interesting example. And like, not look, Steve Johnson is is the best men's college tennis player in recent memory. Has the longest winning streak that any of us can remember. Won a bunch of team titles. Won a yep. bunch of individual titles. So this is not a a shot at Steve Johnson, but like all of his complaints were perfect for him to make, which is he's a guy who took two falls off. He's an American who won two NCAA singles titles. So this move in particular, most curbs Steve Johnson, but for a guy like a Cam Norrie, who's the highest ranked player to come out of college tennis in a very long time, he didn't even play NCAA singles his last year in college because there was no value in it anyway. So it's, it's hard for me to really grasp this, this idea that this is such a death sentence for the individual event that, you know, some people on social media really went out there and sort of were putting that out into the ethos. Uh, You know, we've mentioned international players didn't play, you know, didn't play individuals anyway. So it's not like moving this to the fall. Oh, but all the players who take the fall off, what are they supposed to do? You know, you posted the graphic a few days ago, 66% of college tennis is European or international. Sorry. Non-American. and international players can't get the US Open wildcard if they win individuals, which is the huge benefit, apparently, of, of winning NCAA individuals, which is why we haven't seen Cam Norrie play it. We didn't see Carl Soderlin, my teammate, ever play NCAA singles. So some international pl- you know, players choose to play it, but a lot don't anyway. And so I don't know how moving it to the fall, the concerns about, well, what about players who take the fall off? To me, that seems sort of like a convenient Steve Johnson specific complaint because he won NCAs twice after taking the fall off. Like that's a very unique situation that doesn't affect the vast majority of the players who yeah. are playing NCAA singles. Ben Shelton won it last year and played the whole fall. So well, he skipped fall nets, but um, yeah, I, I think it's a very good point. I think often these conversations end up centering around the top two to three players in the country, often Americans, often the U S open wildcard that uh, comes with the winning this event. When if you're American, if you're American, when the reality yeah. is you have 64 players in the men's side, 64 players on the women's side in singles. The majority of those players are not going on to play professional tennis after college. Right. Yep. And so we do need to find a way to balance still keeping college tennis as a pathway for those people who do want to go play pro while still providing, you know, experiences for people who are not going to play pro. Um, But you're really right. A lot of the conversation online centered around what this means for the Steve Johnson's of the world. Um, But there just aren't, there aren't a lot of those like that's the reality is is the exception, not the rule. Right. Well, just look at this season, right. Um, on the women's side, they're the, we didn't have anyone take the fall off, right? We no, didn't have any no, no. returning players really take the fall off. You know, last season you did have Emma Navarro and Peyton Stearns no. both take the fall off. I think the challenge for an American kind of doing the calculus is typically if you take the fall off, you don't even need to be enrolled in school, right? You can yeah. no, you're not taking class. Exactly. And so here, while well, you would need to be enrolled in school, right? Yeah. But on the men's side this year, you look at a uh, Johannes Monday, Arthur Ferry, like it, it was non-Americans mostly. Yeah, taking... Gab Diallo before we knew he was going pro. Exactly. Draxel, they're all non-Americans. All non-Americans. So yeah, I think it's important to keep in mind um, for further conversation. However, I do want this event to be 
just as important for non-Americans as it is Americans. I think, you know, the U.S. Open wildcard has started to skew this conversation to be about an American event. Yeah, it's a complete advent too, by the way. Like this concept that the only value derived from NCAA singles or doubles is that there's a U.S. Open wildcard if you win, if you're American. It makes no sense, right? Like there are a million other sports that have team, college sports that have team titles and individual titles. And it is just as meaningful to those athletes to be named an individual national champion as it is to be a team national champion. I mean, wrestling, golf, swimming, track and field, these all have team and individual national titles. Yeah. And to the to those athletes, it's just as meaningful to be an individual national title as a as, or individual national champion versus team national champion. For whatever reason, tennis has sort of lost the plot and decided that the only value that could possibly be derived from winning NCAA singles is a US Open wildcard. And it, it doesn't make a lot of sense in that, you know, at least at least at UVA, if you win, if you win NCAA singles. You get a name, your name on a special banner, you get your own trophy, you get your own ring. Like Ty Kwiatkowski has his own ring from winning NCAA singles that the rest of that team doesn't have. It's just as meaningful. US Open wildcard or not, in a way, that wildcard has become sort of a red herring to the conversation that's distracted all of us from this idea of like, no, you get to go win a national championship on behalf of your school. That should be something very meaningful. It shouldn't just come down to whether or not you get a wild card into the U.S. Open, or you know, Paul Jubb, the LTA gave him a wild card into Wimbledon when he won NCAA singles, which was great. Like, it's not a complaint that that exists. It's just why that has become the absolute determinant in the value of the individual championship. To me, is sort of odd. Yeah, yeah, I, you're right. I mean, you are a national championship for you know representing your school. You mentioned the figure about two thirds being non-American. You know, I think. The importance of that differs for some people versus others. But at the end of the day, you know, you're right. We've kind of invented this idea that the only thing that matters there is the U.S. Open wildcard and the USTA is only going to give that to Americans. So like tough luck, uh, anyone else. So um, there's still a lot we don't know about this. I mentioned the release was pretty light. Brief. So I want to go through quick rapid fire of things that we don't know or potentially some concerns as well people had i know the release said 68 percent of coaches were in favor of it i ran my own poll on instagram super scientifically um (laughs) sound and it was about 40 percent were yes i'm in favor 60 percent either fell into the like no camp or i'm neutral so uh, take that for what you with what you will again scientifically sound. So, uh, <laughs> things that we don't know. The first is you mentioned this earlier location. So I have heard that they have offered fall of twenty twenty four to Baylor and fall of twenty twenty five to Georgia. The reason for that being that Baylor is the twenty twenty five host and Georgia is the twenty twenty six host, and so because they are now losing their the individual, individual portion yeah. of that event, they say, okay, great. We will we'll offer you the individual portion of the year before, right? So that means mean in the 2024 to 2025 academic calendar year, you would play it at Baylor individuals event in 2024, and then Baylor again in 2025. So you get to go to Baylor yeah. twice. Now I have that- some concerns though. 
Okay. Some weather concerns. <laughs> like, so, yeah, I think that's not valid. all of these places are great in November. If this is going to be, if this is essentially going to take the spot of fall mats, I don't think it is. I don't think it can because, and this gets into timing. I yeah. think it needs to be closer to Thanksgiving because you already have fall gnats, which is, you know, the first week in November. And then again, this is a consideration for me. I don't know if this will be a consideration, but the ATP tour finals from November 12th, to November 19th, like you'd like to see it like right after that, right before yeah. Thanksgiving, but it does get really tough with weather is a concern in most of those places, unless you're yeah. willing to play it indoors. And if you're willing to play it indoors, that's a different conversation. Actually. I but don't, it, yeah. It, I don't think it becomes a weather concern. Yeah. Which just means you have to play it in the South in California or in uh, Florida. Yeah. But like even in Athens, Georgia, I'm pretty sure that come the end of November, the lows are below 50. Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> like. I don't think it's. I mean, it could be sixty-five. But, I'm sure, I, but I don't know if it's going to be brilliant. Like, I think we. Yeah, I think we need to acknowledge though that if that's probably not the permanent plan after course. this two-year yeah. pilot. It's like a concession to say, "Hey, yeah. sorry for stripping you of an additional seven days of the event." Yeah. Like, that's do, do you want this event? No. Um, so we'll have to see. I mean, it would make sense to put it in Orlando, right? And have that be, you know, want to have the. Yep the road to Orlando be the individual one and you still want to rotate the team. That could be something I think regardless, I think figuring out location and timing will be, will be key. For and sure. also those are things you're going to measure in this pilot, right? Like yeah. can, can, does it work to have it in Texas in around Thanksgiving? Does it work to have it around Thanksgiving from a finals perspective? All of those things is what you're going to be getting feedback on in the pilot program. Yeah. Let's shift to, I think, probably the biggest concern people have about this and something we still don't really have any information on. And that is the selection criteria, you yeah. know, also known as the integrity of the bracket. This is really one of the main sticking points, right? How do you make sure the best players get into this event when previously you're using data from September to May, you're using yep. all of the individual fall, you're using all of the dual match results. And now all you have potentially is two and a half months of data, right? September, yeah. October, and maybe some fall. Before we float ideas out here, I want to just baseline where we're at. The NCAA has in their bylaws two things. Only collegiate matches can be considered uh, for selection into an NCAA championship. And those matches have to happen during that same academic year. So you can't have like a 52-week yeah. rolling ranking. Yeah. Now, I will say, this is fudged a little bit in college tennis already because we use the preseason Last ranking. year's ranking. Last year's we should determine the now, preseason rankings. And it yeah. all flows from there. So this is fudged a little bit. But Ethan, talk to me about kind of how we might alleviate some of these you know, criteria. How do you think we could make sure that the best people are playing uh, and getting into this event in the fall. Yeah, I mean, I think NCAA bylaws aside, the 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 correct way to go about doing this is find more data. And the truth is, there's a lot of it. Most of the college tennis field that thinks they're going to win NCAAs or wants to win NCAAs is playing throughout the summer, right? 
they're just not playing college events. Um, and so I just wonder with this new alliance between the ITA and the ITF using this new world tennis number sort of in place of you, well, not in place of UTR, but not, not in place of UTR. Yeah. I just wonder if there's a way for the two bodies to come together and find a way to not explicitly incorporate ITF results into a college tennis ranking, but find a way to use that data to influence how the first rankings come out. Um, because the truth is the biggest problem I found is that the first rankings or two are atrocious. The You're more talking data, about the like preseason the, individual rankings. Yes. The preseason individual rankings. And then the first fall rank, the really the first fall ranking where they've begun to incorporate fall results. Yeah. In, it, they're bad. And right. And by so the, the way, I would say the preseason rankings are bad just because there's no data involved. They're using they're using stale results basically from six yeah. months ago to just well, pump a list out there. I don't know. It's still the the final June rankings. You yeah. just kind of, I, I actually think those, when you look at the list, you're like, yeah, this makes sense. The real problem is the ones that come out in November after the fall yeah. results. When you're like, this is not, this is not quite the list of the best players because you have these gaps. People aren't playing all these events. And if we use something like and that, if you take one loss, and if you take one it, loss, if you take a few it, losses, it destroys yeah. your ranking. Yeah. Because there's just the way the so ranking system data. works, there's not enough data. Yeah. So I, I just think the solution is going to have to be if you want to get the selection criteria right, you're going to either have to explicitly use results from the prior season and take the, you know, the top ranked player from every conference, plus or minus a few players from each conference, and then add some players based on fall results. You're either going to have to do that. Or you're going to have to use summer, you know, summer results because really the vast majority of the best tennis players in college are playing throughout the summer unless they're hurt. You know, the majority of them are playing summer events of some level. I don't know. I think there's a lot of examples where that's not true. Fiona Crawley did not play this summer. That's true. Natasha Subash did not play this summer. It's more so on the men's side. It is more so on the men's side. There's a lot more summer tennis on the men's side than there is on the women's side. Yeah, it's look, it is a it's a problem. I would say the the biggest problem within this is I don't know how you deal with freshmen. Yeah. Well, you you have to assume that they have these results in September, October, November to earn them entry into the event. It's like a play in style, right? You have to have a good regional. You have to have a good all American. Like that's what I had heard that this kind of going to be these play in events. Right. And so if you play, um, like you, if in, you win this, it's automatic qual. like potentially sort of how yeah. they have, like the, the Milwaukee tennis classic is still an automatic qualifier. Yeah, or for, even um, just like if you make semifinals of all American, you get entry into fall Nats. And, like, and that's okay. I, you know, I think that sort of system of clearly demarcating here, if you play these events and you get these results, you're in. I, like, I don't think that's bad because I think it's really easily digestible and everyone will be able to make sense of it. Yeah. The, the thing they can't do is do the top 64 players in the country after the October results come in. Because the ranking system, the, the algorithm isn't good enough to yeah, actually the weigh thing. the results properly. Because the, the algorithm, when you don't have a lot of results, is far, far, far too punishing on losses, particularly if you have one bad loss. Like if you're yeah. 10 and one, but your one loss is to somebody completely unranked because 
you hurt yourself in the middle of the match and withdrew, that goes into your ranking result. Like yeah. it, the, the algorithm isn't good enough the way it currently works yeah. to determine the field. So if they want to say these six events are play-ins and we're going mm-hmm. to take the quarterfinalist of each of those events, and then we're going to backfill in if we have to, or we're going to add the highest ranked player from last season in each conference, including some non and do it yeah. that way fine yeah that's okay yeah i think as you're talking what i'm thinking through is ultimately it comes down to just the unsophistication of the ita ranking algorithm right and so this partnership i mean they had the partnership with utr for five years we'd never included it into the ita rankings but why can't we use a more sophisticated algorithm still on collegiate matches and at least have that be the ranking rather than this point system where you know if you beat number one you get 80 points like it's so it's it's fairly archaic so there's a way to modernize that algorithm that at least makes those results appear better so it's not so punishing but I want to rapid fire through just a few other open questions that people have um, have raised. So what happens with the U.S. Open wildcard in a situation where you win this event in November? U.S. Open is not until August. I think nothing changes right now. That U.S. Open wildcard. Well, no, I think that U.S. Open wildcard is not guaranteed. Right. Yeah. There's no there's no contract right to give that U.S. Open wildcard. If I'm the USTA, nothing changes. If I end up wanting to give the NCAA winner, the U.S. Open wildcard, I'll do it. If that person has fallen off significantly between November and August, I don't have to. So I don't think we're actually going to see anything at most. You could see the USTA maybe formalizing something a little bit where to say, hey, these are sort of results that we would need to see on the pro tour, blah, blah, blah. But I actually don't think much is going to change here. The second is... What is the success criteria of the pilot program? I, I have no idea. Don't know who. I don't think they know. Yeah, true. I don't know who's um, measuring that success. You know, we already talked about what happens if you want to take the fall off. You know, we talked about the calculus that people will have to make um, in these situations. It's tough to make that calculus without seeing kind of what the opportunities are to qualify. I think the biggest thing is just being enrolled or not enrolled uh, in school is a big, that's, I mean, that's a pretty big change in your lifestyle. <laughs> um, another thing that people have raised is sort of, you know, hey, we've been using the fall as like a developmental period for players, particularly yep. freshmen. We use it as training blocks. We use it to work on their forehand mechanics, right? Their serve is bad. Look, I think that's fair. You know, I think you're you're always going to be now working towards something. You can't just take two months off and not feel like you're missing anything. There always is going to be a sense of you're missing something. You're going to have to sacrifice something. And then the last is, you know, do you change the number of available competitive dates in college tennis? Because now schools need to fund a full national schedule of fall events if they want their players to compete in that tournament. On the women's side this year, you see top programs like Texas, Pepperdine, Stanford. They play very limited national fall schedule and they use those dates to let their players go and play pro events or focus on school. So. I think you might see some changes in the number of available dates to kind of compensate for that. But there you have it, you know, pilot program kicking off fall of 2024. Got a ways to go before then, for sure. And so we'll have to see. I'm sure we'll learn a lot more in the, you know, 
yeah. intervening well, two years. <laughs> yeah, two years <laughs> slow on the math there. But yeah, um, something that is much more. Any final thoughts on um, the the change? No, I mean, as long as the information is flowing and forthcoming between now and the fall of 2024, I, I don't think this is going to be as problematic as people foresee it. Yeah. I think the problem becomes if it's the summer of 2024 and we still don't know the selection <laughs> criteria, that's a problem. And that's not unheard of. But now the benefit for the ITA, for the NCAA, for the host schools or the host sites and the participating schools is you actually have quite a lot of runway to ask and answer these questions. So use it. Yeah. Make sure that you spend the next 18 months getting the answers to these questions. Because if you do this in a way that's logical, this can work. Yep. It just, you have to be proactive about getting these answers now rather than waiting until the last second and have everyone be confused. And you haven't been able to secure a TV deal because there haven't been any answer. Like yeah. you, you now have a lot of runway to get this right get it right. Yep. I mean, they have a full fall season to yep. get it right before they even do the pilot. Yep. They have a pre-pilot in fall yeah. of 2023. They can pilot the pilot. Exactly. <laughs> to really yeah. nail this down. I think that is is a great point. Look, this is can be a very exciting opportunity for college tennis, and we hope that it is capitalized on. All right. So let's shift gears. Something that is much more immediate is actual college tennis being played today. There are dual matches happening. They are sprinkled across the country. And I think moving forward this season, I will try my best to do a matches of the week preview. I did that on the blog last season. I'll probably try and do that in podcast form this year. And we starting with a doozy. Ethan, this Sunday, 12 p.m. in Gainesville, you have the 2019 NCAA champion in Texas facing off 2022 NCAA champion Florida. This has quickly become what I believe to be the greatest January rivalry in men's tennis. Before we dive in, I'm curious, who do you think leads the overall head-to-head between Texas and Florida men's tennis? Texas? Texas leads. Any yeah. guesses? I'll I'll tell you this. They've played 21 and, matches. Oh, it, please tell me it's Texas 11-10. No. Oh. Not, not far off, though. 13 That would be great, though. 13-8. Okay. That's, 13, yeah, it's, it's competitive. It's a competitive, it, it's competitive. rivalry. Yeah, yeah. And, and we've seen that really in the last you know three to four years. You know, I mentioned Texas winning the NCAA championship in 2019, Florida in 2021. For me, this rivalry really got going in that 2019 yeah. NCAA semifinal where look, a lot of people thought that was going to be Florida's year, right? They had Oliver Crawford, Sam Riffis at the top of the lineup, Texas knocks them off four, two in the NCAA semifinals goes on to win 2019 Man. title. in in what I think was a surprise for most people. Yeah. And since that match, this has been a really exciting matchup. Uh, they meet in January 2020. Texas goes on the road, knocks off Florida 5-2. They meet again in January, kickoff weekend in Austin. Texas beats Florida 4-3. That was a crazy match. Crazy match. That, that was, was a crazy match. Yeah. Rain delays. Spaziri and Riffis go inside for a full third yep. set. Spaziri ends up winning. And then Florida... Well, Go ahead. And post COVID, the kickoff regions were all insane. Insane because it was, there was it, the kick. Yes, it was the smaller field because yes, of only COVID. Eight. Yep. 
so the kickoff regions were nuts that year. Yes. And that was, that gave us the blessing of that absolutely wild Florida, Texas match. Yeah. How about this stat? That was a regional kickoff. That was yeah. then a rematch of that same year's NCAA semifinal. Yeah. yeah. Uh, no, it was insane. That one was a little bit of the, the throwaway match here. I mean, Florida blitz through that match four yeah. Oh, yeah. uh, and then last year, Florida comes to Austin, you know, off the back of their 2021 national championship. They take down Texas 4-3. Texas, again, returns the favor at indoors 4-3. Look, this is a fun matchup. We're getting it again in 2023. College tennis kicks off when Georgia and Texas, I mean, Texas and Florida <laughs> here play in the in the January match. What do you make of of this matchup and what have you found fun about it uh, over these past few years? I mean, this is the real kickoff weekend. Like, <laughs> like uh, yeah, ITA kickoff, uh, I got it. But really, I mean, it's become such a staple of the kickoff of college tennis. And we've Absolutely. seen it la- last year. It felt like there were an unusually large amount of wild matches at the beginning. Of the, like TCU played Florida and TCU Tennessee, played Tennessee yep. as well. Like th- this scheduling of like a final four level match in January has become more and more of a thing. And I, I kind of think Florida and Texas started it like them choosing to do this voluntarily has sort of kickstarted this, like let's make final four matches in January and just sort of see what happens. It's, yeah. it's a fun, it's a fun little thing that they do. And ultimately the cost benefit for the teams is really good right? Like the benefit of winning that match is great because both of those teams are going to wind up being probably top 10 teams Yeah, and the cost of losing it. Yeah. And the cost of losing that match is very low because both of those teams are going to wind up being top 10 teams. So like, yeah, it, it actually works in the team's favors very nicely. This year is going to be a bit different. I think, I think you're seeing a Florida team that's at the beginning of a new cycle of new players, new lineup, this is just a new start for Florida a little bit after having, you know, five year, four years of Sam Riffis and Ben was on that team. And you talked about Oliver Crawford and go further back Alfredo Perez and like Florida's really starting over a little bit. And that's not to say that they're not going to be good that like, that's not what I'm saying at all, but they're really beginning again. Whereas Texas to me is on the other end of that spectrum. They're sort of winding down yep. this era where they have been a top five team really without, stop with the exception of you know injury crisis here and injury crisis there this texas team has been one of the elite contenders for the last several years and they're on like the final or second to last year of that cycle before they're going to do the exact same thing you know that that florida is doing so it's interesting because it's in gainesville right Mm -hmm. like the two teams that we just spoke about would lead you to believe that texas is a pretty overwhelming favorite but it's in Gainesville and, and that's always a caveat, you know, playing early tough road matches is tough. It's not a, it's not a super easy thing. We've spoken in the past about health concerns with, with Texas, which is always an issue, but I would say from what we saw last weekend in Miami, which we sort of covered the very beginning of Texas looked quite good, even, even banged up. They looked really good. Um, So personally, it's not as exciting a match as it's All been right, in the well, last. Hold years. the prediction. Hold the prediction. Uh, we'll get to that. I, I mean, how about this though? I mean, you talk about this Florida team that is entirely new faces, right? The team that lost in the quarterfinal in Champaign last year, those guys are gone. 
all six yep. of those six guys in singles, every single one of them is gone. This Florida team has five freshmen on it. And of all matches, this is the first yeah. match of the spring. They didn't play one of these Miami invitationals or they didn't play anything. I mean, this is, you know, this is going completely cold turkey yeah. <laughs> and yeah. facing a, a Texas team that doesn't have any freshmen that we expect to be starting nope. in that lineup is a very seasoned team. So that was a surprise to me to be like, Ooh, we were really throwing this Florida team into the gauntlet right away. And I think that's first on the list of if you're a Florida fan, what are you watching in this match? You're watching those freshmen, right? You're looking yeah. to see which of these five freshmen are really going to click, right? You have, um, you know, Jonah Braswell, who's ironically his brother, Micah Braswell, is on the Texas team. Could they play? Uh, we'll, we'll discuss that when we get to projection. <laughs> I think they could, you know, so... On the on the Florida freshman side, you have Jonah Braswell had an excellent fall, fifteen and three, goes from pre-qualifying all the way to the main draw of All Americans, makes the runner-up of Eddie Herr, one of the top-tier international junior events. You know, you have um, Narun Dorn and Tokach who makes the All American semifinals in doubles. You also bring in a a one of the two spring admits in Alex Orlikowski, who was number 16 in the world in juniors and is currently listed as their highest UTR guy at 13.5. So if you're a Florida fan, look, Florida program is rebuilding and you're excited to see who these guys are that you are rebuilding around. On the Texas side, what are you watching here? You mentioned it. It's health, 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 health. health, health. I mean, they're coming off the Miami event. No Micah Braswell, no Cleve Harper. CM Waldeb retires from singles. Chichi only plays one singles match. Miami Invitational was a lot of McDonald, Aramilli, Tuluri instead of Braswell, Waldeb, Harper. So big question marks about the health of this Texas team as they had to Gainesville. But with that, let's give our projected lineups. Why don't you give me Texas, assuming all these guys are healthy. So for Texas, assuming health, I'll go Spaziri, followed by PYB, then Braswell, then Woldeeb, then Harper, then Chichi Wang. That's probably yep. the way to do it. I could see Chichi Wang over Harper if they can get away with it. I, I like I could I could see that as a potential opportunity for them. And look, Braswell and and PYB and Spaziri. It's hard to fault them for any of the orders that they could throw out there. I would be surprised if it's not Spaziri at one, but then yeah. two and three, I think they can flip around I agree. pretty willy nilly and not yep. have anyone complain. So, yep. yeah, I, I agree with that. I think that that is the lineup at full health. I think it is likely that we could see a lineup that looks like Spaziri at one, Bailey at two. Both of them did play and played well yep. at the Miami Invitational, maybe a Waldeeb at three. Air Millie at four, McDonald at five. I mean, like, with injuries, I, yeah, I see. You know, yeah, you're yeah, starting yeah. to get um pull some of those guys up. I think that is is quite likely. Uh on the floor of the side, this who is knows? who knows, right? I mean, you look at these UTRs, all of these guys are within a very small band of each other. I mentioned you have five freshmen. And you do you throw the freshmen in and just get them experience or say, hey, I do have some guys in here who have some match experience yeah they're going to be better suited to to play this event so i would be hard pressed 
to to actually say that Axel Neff isn't going to play one. I like to, to me, that that feels like the one near certainty. It, yeah, it well, makes the most sense to me. Yeah, he's he's a transfer as a grad student. He's yep. playing yes. right. Like it, he's only going to play one or two. It to me feels like the smart decision, even though I know Orlikowski's UTR is slightly higher. Yeah, to just ignore that basically yeah, and totally. play F at one. Experience matters, and like I said, he's a transfer with one year of eligibility. You you brought him to your team for a reason. Like you're yeah. going to use him, and you're going to use him at the position. But really, <laughs> outside of that, I, I mean, your guess is really as good as mine. I would love to see Shelton orchestrate a Braswell Braswell match. If, you know, <laughs> if if Micah's, I mean, look, we've spoken about that at UVA because UVA and Harvard played last year, and UVA and Harvard will play again this year. About can you orchestrate a von der Schulenberg versus von der Schulenberg match? When you get given these opportunities to make matches like that, you have to make them. Like, it's too yeah. much fun. It is too well, much fun. So yeah. we'll see. I, Braswell, I, my guess is Braswell probably plays a spot too low, like one spot too low to see Which his Braswell? Jonah Braswell, sorry. Oh, interesting. Plays, plays one spot too low to see. If Mike is healthy, I would probably so assume then who's, play two or three. Who's your two for Florida? You have got Neff at one. Or, I think you play Orlikowski. I, I do think you play Orlikowski at two. If you like, I mean, the problem is he's a spring admit. We don't know what oh, no idea. is going on in practice. Based on UTRs, I think flipping your freshman to, to play two, even though he's got the higher UTR, is still logical if you like what you're seeing. Yep. Then the question is, I mean, Grant, Braswell, Benetto are, I mean, they're all right there from a UTR yeah. standpoint. It's You can put them really in. This is the benefit for, for Brian Shelton is – how do you challenge his lineup? Like if he decides I, he wants to play yeah. Axel Neff at four, how do you sit there and go, no, you're wrong. You don't know a thing about this team. Yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, Neff is the only one that feels, t- you know, that's like a, a pseudo tough. lock. Yeah. yeah. But look, if I'm Brian Shelton, I'm betting on Texas showing up a little banged up. I'm trying to find a way to get my bit of that group of guys who are kind of all together in Braswell. Your best one Benetto, as low as possible. Or like I'm going five and six are my best ones. That's my yeah. best shot to get some wins here yeah. against this Texas team. I think I would lean Benetto as like the top guy of that group, just because yeah. he got more bites at the apple last Lots season. Of reps. Yeah. You know, he was in there more than these other guys. Ah. I yeah. then think on form Braswell's Jonah Braswell is playing very well. Orlikowski, I would put below him. And then I'd go Will Grant, who actually had a, a yeah. quite a strong fall. Very good. And fall. then yeah. I'd go um Togan Tokach, who had yeah. a, a strong fall as well. And that's yeah, that's this it. match gets this match gets really interesting if um if Florida wins a doubles point. Uh, you know, I think which we talk like, about this a lot, sort of we it's a very taboo topic. Because it, it sounds bad, but if Texas wins the doubles point, it makes them a, it makes it a lot easier for them to pull a guy who's kind of banged up, right? Mm-hmm. If if Texas loses the doubles point, they're going to want to play a pretty close to full lineup because this I don't think this is like the previous Texas Florida matchups where the risk of losing is pretty minimal because you're going to both wind up in the top five. If this Florida team winds up twelve in the country, which is where they're ranked preseason, I think. I yeah, think right around there. Or something, yeah. something like that. That's not a great result for 
Texas to be carrying around, especially when Texas is going to have to play indoors and is going to have to play TCU a couple of times. Like you don't necessarily want to be carrying around that loss. It can really weigh you down when you know that your schedule has other, you know, matches that are potential losses. If Texas loses the doubles point, if they're sitting guys, it means they're really, really hurt. Yeah. If Texas wins the doubles point, it would not surprise me to see them pull a guy or two guys who are maybe 80%. Yeah. Because they might sit there and go, we're good. Elliot's going to win and Elliot's going to play because they, I mean, he insists on playing through all sorts of injuries. Yeah. You know, if they win, they might go, look, doubles, Elliot, PYB, that's three points. Yeah. We'll find one, two, three, three through six. It, it wouldn't surprise me if they lose the doubles point though, this gets very interesting and kind of sketchy for Texas because they might have to play guys who aren't a hundred percent. Yeah. And I do think getting into predictions here, I, I do think that's likely that we do not see yeah. those top six guys from Texas all competing in singles because of some sort of injuries. The doubles thing, there's no way on paper, Florida wins a doubles point. I mean, you have five freshmen, you haven't played a single dual match, uh, there's just yeah, you just no never chance. know doubles but you, you know never doubles know because tennis is fantastic yeah because it's a complete toss-up it's like we have seen the wonkiest weirdest doubles especially early in the season well that's okay. the thing that's like, why i think it's so weird because texas is strong at doubles and they're gonna have an you know chi chi wong and you know ishan Taluri, even though maybe not the strongest singles players they played very well in doubles at that miami invitational throw spaziri with someone at two throw bailey with someone at three texas is going to roll out a strong doubles lineup yeah. even if they're missing people like ncaa yeah. doubles champion cleve harper yeah. i have no idea who florida rolls out the only thing they'll have is the wind at their sails of what what sort of crowd they have exactly home crowd and by the way crazy young exuberant freshman energy with a bunch of people who don't know what they're doing not like don't know what they're doing and like they don't know how to play tennis but they've never played a college dual match before yeah it's 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 actually going to be really fun to watch because i think this is one of these florida teams they're going to figure this out i think as the season goes on i think it was really easy in the fall to sit there and go well this florida team is going to be tough to watch this year in in especially in the shadow of the last two or three years of Florida teams, which have been national championship quality teams. I think this team's actually going to figure it out. You know, it's, it's a weird benefit of having a tough schedule. Brian Shelton's a very good coach and they actually do have enough experience on the team that I don't sit there and go, they're just going to drown and wind up never digging themselves out of this hole that they're going to dig. Yeah. Yeah, it wouldn't surprise me to see them figure it out. I think by the end of the year, they're going to be one of these really kind of nasty, dangerous teams that like, could they make a run in an SEC tournament, given what we've seen out of the SEC so far? Yeah, I I, I think they could. It's an it's an interesting Florida team. But yeah, this could be a rough. This could be a rough start to a bunch of college tennis careers. Yeah, but I agree with you. There is experience on this team. You bring in Neff. You have, you know, a Will Grant, a Lucas Greif, who've been part of national yep. championship teams. You know, Nate Bonetto got reps last season. So they've got pieces. They've got the coaching staff. But I think it'll be interesting. Give me your final prediction and score. Uh, I will go Texas 4-2. And they do win the doubles point and pull players. Um, so one of my thoughts is you sort of were saying you think you put your two most reliable freshmen down at the bottom of the lineup because yeah. you can. 
I'm going to say something different. I think you try and bury like Bonetto and Greif down there and say, we can win two points there with experience if Texas is pulling players. Yeah, I I agree with that. I put I think you put your strongest of this group, of which it includes freshmen and a Greif and yeah. a Grant. Bonetto, I think, would be really tough to play down there at six. He played there last year. But, but I think we're five? saying... I mean, totally. yeah, I think we're saying similar things. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, you're right. So I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with four two, and basically, uh, I think Texas wins on one two and three, and I'll go with four DNFs and Florida wins on five and six, and Texas wins the doubles point. Yeah, and we're going the same thing. I mean, I yeah. just don't see a way in which Texas loses doubles and Spaziri and Bailey. Yeah, like, I think they get yeah, it's, those three points. Yeah. So, yeah. um, I think finish if they finish it out. Who knows if they will? Maybe that's something we can have consistency on once we do a fall <laughs> individual event. But um, yeah, 4-2, 5-2, uh, something in there. So that wraps up, really. And there are a few other good matches. You know, Georgia, Florida State uh, on the schedule, on the men's Rematch side of well. last year's uh, round of 16, where yeah. Florida State went to Georgia, upset Georgia. So that's round definitely one to watch. Is it round of 30? No. Yeah. Oh, you're right. It was round of 32 because Florida State didn't make champagne. Wow. That is wild. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, Round of 32. So they will definitely want some, uh, some revenge there. So looking forward to that one. They are on the road though at um, Florida State and that one. Tough place to play. Not a fun place to play. Yeah. Um, Although, by the way, I didn't realize everyone goes to Hawaii <laughs> during this time of year. I feel like there yeah, must be like we never went to Hawaii. 10 teams in Hawaii <laughs> right now. So I, I'm like, when is Florida State coming back? They got a match. So uh, we'll have to see. But looking forward to that match. Um, you know, let us know on Twitter, Instagram, how you see Florida versus Texas playing out. Look, it's a fun one. These are top tier schools, top tier programs. Looking forward to really kicking all the action off. As I mentioned at the top, I'm going to try and do these pods weekly. You know, so if you have matches throughout the season, let me know what matches you want to see featured. Ethan, as always, welcome back to the real world next week. Mm. Yeah, and, uh, thanks. We will chat soon. <laughs> yes, looking forward to it. College tennis is full on back. This is the fun part. So thanks, everyone.